there's something special about worshiping with Young Life leaders and staff. To worship with people who've been in the trenches trying to share the incredible grace of our Lord with lost high school, middle school, and college kids. We had the opportunity a few weeks back not just to worship together, but hear from a good friend, Mr. Bill Page, about singleness and marriage. He titled his two messages, Lessons from Uncle Bill. Hope you enjoy. to be with you all today. I never really know how to get this started. So there's some things that I always do. Uh, how many of you want me to be real today? Raise your hands. Okay, if I'm willing to be real, how many of you are willing to be real? Raise your hands. All right, we're going to find out. Now, the reason you talk to your neighbor, Ephesians 4.25 in the Phillips translation says, cease them with lying and tell your neighbor the truth because we're not separate units, but intimately united in Christ. Amen? Okay, so that's the, I think that's God's way of saying be real. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and confess some of the sin in your life. All right, look at your neighbor say, neighbor. neighbor. Well, don't act like you don't have sin in your life. <laughs> James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you could be healed. John writes, hey, I write these things to you that you don't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. But James knows better. He knows that we gon' sin. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Say, neighbor. neighbor. Don't act like you don't know what that brother's talking about. <laughs> okay. So let's find out how real you're going to be first. By the raising of your hands, how many of you have found out life's a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many of you found out serving Jesus is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many of you find yourself doing stupid stuff every once in a while? How many of you do stupid stuff you know it's stupid and you do it anyway? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. What in the ham sandwich is the matter with you? <laughs> and how many of us have one of these in our lives? Something that we've done, our attitude about it is, oh my God, I hope no one ever finds out I did that. How many of us have one of those? Raise your hand straight up. This is not an auction. Raise your hand straight up in the air. Raise, no, seriously, raise your hand straight up in the air if you got one of those. Look around the room. Keep your hand up. Say, neighbor. neighbor. And I won't be telling you about it either. <laughs> so the reason I ask us to do that is because it puts us all on a level playing field. If we're really being real, we got stuff going on in our lives. And, and God was prepared for us when we came. He knew all that stuff in his foreknowledge. And yet, still, he still called us to be the sons and daughters of God. And so... Uh, how many of you have never heard me speak before? Raise your hands. Okay, so let me just share a little bit about my own life, and then we'll get into the Word, and then we'll get into a free day. Um, well, let's, let's go here with this verse first. E this one become one of my favorite verses, Ezekiel 46.9. It says, when the people come into the Lord's house on the feast day to worship, let those who come through the north gate leave through the south gate, and those who come through the south gate, let them leave through the north gate. Let no one leave through the gate in which they came. I think that's God's way of saying, when you come into my presence... When you sing songs to me, when you, when you pray, when you hear the word of God, when you fellowship one with another, you go home a different way. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, you need to go home a different way. <laughs> How many of you, if it were possible, have one of these things in our lives you would love to leave at this property? Anybody in the house? Okay, well, that will depend on how much you allow God to deal with you. And it doesn't necessarily have to come through through the front. It doesn't have to necessarily come through a song. It could come through creation. It could come through you taking a walk with somebody and talking and sharing and unloading some of that stuff and just leaving it here. But I really do believe that God wants to meet all of us in a, in a very special way. Uh, last question. How many of you who are married have found out marriage 
is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be. Say, neighbor, there's a big difference in the honeymoon and the marriage. And everything goes cool on the honeymoon, you know. I won't go there, but hey, you know. It's legal for a change, like, yeah, no kidding. Okay, so, all right. And, and I want to be, be an encouragement to those of you who are single as well. Okay, so born and raised in New York City, grew up in a very dysfunctional family. My mom was involved with organized crime. I didn't realize it until many years later when I began to investigate organized crime. I looked back and I was, I, I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do, okay? <laughs> I was the victim of child abuse at her hands. I didn't realize it was child abuse until I began to investigate child abuse. And then I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do. And uh, I saw a girl at a Young Life camp up at Lake Champion. She had a t-shirt on and said, save your drama for your mama. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Bill's mama was his drama. <laughs> Okay, and I had a cousin that lived in our house, and she was very promiscuous, and so as a little boy, I used to see her sleeping with different lovers, and, and you know, when I closed my eyes back in the day, when a, when a woman kissed a man, her lipstick would smear, and I, and I vivid memories of that. And then my mom dies when I'm 13 years old, she has a massive heart attack, and the day that she dies, I find out she's not my mom, but this girl who I thought was my cousin, that turned out to be my mom. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. Dang. Okay, what do you do with that? What do you do with that when you don't know who Jesus is? What do you do with that when nobody has sat you down, tried to explain some of that stuff? My life, my life spiraled out of control, went to an all-boys high school. We did not have young life there in the Bronx. 7,000 boys went to my high school, played football there. I was a real good athlete. Soon as football season ended my senior year, I quit school, began running the streets, hanging out with a crew that was doing bank robberies and murder. And so I joined the military to keep them going to jail. I thought that was a good option. Say, neighbor. neighbor. We were in Vietnam at that time. Okay. <laughs> But by God's grace, I ended up not in Vietnam. I ended up on the DMZ in Korea, which was kind of hairy. But God got me through that. Uh, got married while I was in the service. Uh, had five, two sons and five grandkids. Uh, came home and became a police officer. And uh, they gave me a gun. They gave me a badge. Tremendous authority. The authority to take your life. The authority to take your freedom. But I had no power in my life. And then my past caught up with me, and I began to deal with the pain and hurt in my life with drugs and alcohol. So here I was, a detective on the SWAT team, living a dual life. Strung out, angry, violent, abusive, and I got real one day. December 26, 1980, at 2.45 in the afternoon, I was watching TV, and a man asked two questions. He said, hey, are you a sinner? And I said, yep. He said, you know Jesus? I said, no. Say neighbor. neighbor. You know you got issues if you get an attitude with the television. <laughs> and then he said, call this 800 number. I called the 800 number, and a man explained to me the incredible love of Jesus Christ. And I prayed with that man, and I received Christ in my life. I was totally set free from drugs and alcohol, filled with God's spirit, filled with the joy and peace I had never had before. Uh, my first wife came home, and I'll explain a little bit more about that, came home, and there was somebody totally different living in the house. And I said, Claudia, this is the new me. Jesus came into my life. I'm born again by the Spirit of God. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm a new creation in Christ, because that's all the stuff that man told me on the telephone. Say, neighbor. neighbor. Never say stupid stuff to a black woman. <laughs> and when I said that to her, she went just like this. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she thought God would kill me, and rather than killing me, he saved her, saved my dad at 83 years old, saved my sons, and turned our entire household around. Went back to work a different police officer, went back to work understanding why people did the things they did because they were sinners, and they didn't know who Jesus. They were sinners being sinners. When Jim Rayburn used to see kids at camp tripping out, he would say, just sinners being sinners, and God gave me that kind of an understanding immediately. But God also gave me an incredible love for kids. And uh, that love has never gone away. Stayed on the job 10 more years. And I, I want to say this to you that are reaching out to kids. And I'm going to share this little portion right here. I, I transferred into a street crime unit. Street crime, you go to work in jeans and sneakers, 
wear your baseball hat backwards, just ride around looking for knuckleheads, a lot of action, a lot of fighting and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, and I love that kind of stuff. And then whoever I would lock up, I would tell them about Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Say neighbor. Neighbor. Captive audience. <laughs> hey, you know why you rob banks? You need Jesus in your life. Okay. So, so the deal was, I uh, had this dream. And I think this dream would relate to the kids that you speak to. I was on my way to speak to kids in this dream. It was 725. And uh, I had now begun to speak for Young Life a little bit. And, and so now, here, I'm walking down the middle of the street on the double yellow line. And I have to speak at 7.30, at 7.25. And I realize a crime's gonna be committed. Now I wanna catch the bad guys. So I'm looking around, nobody comes. I come to a very modern looking school building. I wait there, this is where the crime's gonna be committed. I wait there for a moment or so. And then, it's getting closer to 7.30 and I walk into an auditorium. An auditorium filled with thousands of kids, white, black, brown, yellow, red, you name it, they were there. And they were as close to me as you are, but you could not see those kids. And in the dream I said to the Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord said, these are kids who are seated in darkness, who've not been illuminated by the light of Jesus Christ. The people who invited me were upset because I waited until the last second to get there. I said, I got to go. And I ran out the building to go catch these bad guys if they should show up. And two guys come down the street and they begin to break into this school. They're burglars. Section 14020 of the penal law of the state of New York says, a person is guilty of burglary in the third degree when they knowingly, intentionally enter a premise with the intent to commit a crime therein. Jesus says of a thief, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I come that you would have life, and life like you've never had it before. The lookout guy sees me, calls out my name. The guy jumps off the ladder, get in the car, and they take off. And in the dream, I'm jumping up and down. And in the dream, I'm going like, dang, I can't catch him. And I look at my watch, and it's 7.30. And as I turn to go speak to these young people, God speaks to me in the dream in a teenager's voice. And he says, do you want to be a police officer, or do you want to be a minister and tell kids about Jesus? And I was already both. And I said, I want to tell kids about Jesus. And I went inside and I began speaking to those young people and I woke up and I turned over in bed. I woke my wife up and I said, I quit today. And I went to work that day and I handed in my resignation. And I've never ever looked back. And since that time, God's allowed me to go all over the world telling kids about Jesus. And one of the things the Lord showed me about that, he said, no matter how many people you lock up, Bill, that's not how you're really gonna make a difference. The way that you will really make a difference is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I beg you in Jesus' name, do not underscore what God has placed on your life to do. There could be nothing more important than reaching out to this harvest of young people. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. And don't you ever forget it. Don't you ever forget it. OK, so life is crazy sometimes. And uh, how many of you had a day that started out great, and before that day was over, all hell was breaking loose? Anybody ever a day like that? How many of you have ever tried to fix that day? How many of you had that day only get worse? Here's what my 70 years on the earth has taught me. Say, neighbor, neighbor. no matter how bad it is, no it, is. It, can it can always get worse. Okay. And so I'm going to share this, and then I'm going to share some things about my current wife, Pam. Um, and I'll do it in the talk. So one of the things that some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I love telling this story because as I look back on my time as a police officer, there are many things that stand out, but this night in particular stands out more than any other. And the thing I loved uh, the most on the police department was high-speed pursuits. 
And uh, I, I remember going to see the movie, Gone in 60 Seconds after I retired. When I was finished, my armpits were, were all wet and everything because I was in the movie. And, uh, but on this particular night, uh, I was being broken in by a guy named John Creedon. I was still a rookie, but I had been involved in one pursuit, and guys got the word out, don't let this guy drive the car because he's crazy. Because my attitude about it, I ain't breaking this pursuit until we total the car, run out of gas, or we just can't find this guy. And that's okay for me, but it's not okay for the person seated next to me. Amen? <laughs> how many of you rode in the car with somebody that did not know how to drive that well? How many of you ever sat in that shotgun seat hitting brakes that did not exist? <laughs> okay, and the person driving the car, they're, they're like having a ball. You know, they're talking, hey, how's everything going back there? I don't know. And you're like, mm -hmm. And you know, kids got this thing, I ain't scared, but you know you're scared. Okay, so I'm riding with a guy, John Creedon, it's a midnight tour, 12 to 8 in the morning, uh, and I want to drive. And I asked John, can I drive? He goes, no, you can't drive, you drive like a fool. I ain't letting you drive the car. All night long, like a little kid, I'm like, come on, man, when's it going to be my turn to drive? When can I drive? And so about 5 o'clock in the morning, he gets tired, and I see it, I'm going, like, hey, can I drive now? He says, okay, you can drive. Okay, so now, uh, he lets me, and I stop a couple of speeders, and he won't even get out of the car to back me up. And I look back, and he's rolling his eyes, you know, and at quarter to six in the morning, we're sitting on the side of the road, on the, on, right on the shoulder, speed limit is 30 miles an hour, and a car goes by us at about 90 miles an hour. The car goes by the police car so close, the police car went like this. John Creedon now realizes he has made the biggest mistake of his life. <laughs> I go to pull the car into gear. He grabs my wrist and he says, forget about it. You'll never catch him. Get your stinking hands off. <laughs> we were after this guy. Oh, yeah. And John is going, stop it, stop it. You're going to kill us. Shut up. And in the police car, you don't hear the woo, woo, woo. You hear this. All I could hear was, stop it, stop it. You're going to kill us. Shut up. And we went around the curb and the car started bouncing in a little bit. And then I was able to bring it back under control and we went on. John begins to slide out of the seat of the car down into the firewell. His fingernails are embedded in the dashboard. And it's like this. Stop it, stop it. You're going to go shut up. And finally, we catch this guy. And back in the day, you could shoot speeders. And like this was like a two-for-one. And like I'm going like... Now, I take very seriously what's happening in our country today, and a lot of wrongful shootings are going on, but this is before I knew Jesus. Amen? Okay. So I draw the gun. I'm walking up in the car, and I look back to see if John is coming in. Literally, he's, his hands are shaking, his knees, and I can see he has this look of anger on his face, and he wants to hit me. That would not have been a good idea. And he walks over to the driver of that car, pow, and he pops him right in the side of his head. Yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. No camcorders back in those days. <laughs> Just say it, okay. <laughs> For the next 20 years, John Creedon never let me drive the car again. He, his fingernail marks never came out of the dashboard of the car. He used to bring people up, come here, let me show you what happens when you let stupid drive the car, okay? But what was the problem? He had no control. And life is like that sometimes. And sometimes days start out great, and before that day is over, all hell is breaking loose, and we don't know what to do. And sometimes that happens in being married. Sometimes that happens even in our single life. But God wants us to know that he is there with us. And I want you to think about that. Sometimes we get taken unaware. Things happen. You know, in uh, 2013, I had an opportunity to go speak in Africa on this particular weekend, right, on the, right, right before Mother's Day. And I got home on Mother's Day. And even coming home, as we flew out of Entebbe, 
on our way to Brussels and then transferred and coming back into Newark. We get up to 20,000 feet and the engine explodes on the right side of that plane. And I'm sitting by the engine. And I hear, just as I'm falling asleep, I hear, <coughs> and I've flown over two million miles, but I've never heard that noise before. And if for some reason I didn't get scared, I said, Lord, I've never heard that sound before. What's going on? And what had happened, that engine blew up and now that plane took a dip. Not a, it didn't drop, but it just took a dip and, and, and the pilot was able to bring it back and get it under control. Let me just say this to you. When the engine blows up on your airplane, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God's got a captive audience. <laughs> oh, that's when you get real spiritual then. That's when you start praying in King James language and all that kind of stuff. Because thou art a mighty God and nothing is impossible with thee. Okay, and, and so, and, and you know what? The thing that amazes me to this day is that I didn't get scared. I don't understand that. But I do trust God with my life. But all the flight attendants were white and very, very fair skinned. And their demeanor on their face was very calm, but their faces all were as red as a beet. And I said, uh-oh, something real serious going on here. And when the plane engine blew up, the, it blew out the uh, GPS on the back of the seat in front of us. And when, we, when, it, when it went out, it was going on, we were on our way to Brussels. And they never made an announcement. And when it came back on, we were on our way back into Entebbe. And this female pilot landed that plane with such grace and you know, when one engine is missing, there's so much thrust coming out of the other engine, she lands and you land sideways. And then she was able to bring that plane down and we just made it in safe and sound, obviously. <clears throat> but I was in a situation that I couldn't control. I was in a situation that I couldn't handle. And then they put me on another flight and I make it home and I go right from there to Malibu to speak this same men's retreat. And when I get to Malibu, I go to walk up a flight of stairs and when I get up the top of the stairs, I am completely out of breath. I realize I'm not in the best shape, but this has never happened to me before. And I realize I need to go check a doctor when I get back home. And when I get back home, I go to this doctor, and the doctor immediately says, you have congestive heart failure, and you're going to have to get a heart transplant. And my first wife, Claudia, had already had a transplant. And I watched what she had gone through for 16 years. And I was going like, I ain't getting no stinking heart transplant. But some kind of way, I was still trusting in God. And at the same time, her liver began to respond again and go on a nosedive. And not many months after that, she would go and be with Jesus. And things were kind of crazy. And I didn't really know what to do, but God was in it. And uh, some of Claudia's closest friends, one in particular, Pam, helped me get the house straight. And because Claudia was kind of like a hoarder, and I don't know, being kind of like a hoarder is being kind of pregnant. There ain't no such thing as that, okay? <laughs> like if my house caught on fire, you would see the flames from here in New Jersey. That's how crazy it was. And uh, so Pam and some of Claudia's other friends helped me get the house straight. And one of the things I did, I said, Lord, am I ever gonna get married again or am I gonna stay single where I could minister to you, as, as the word of God says. You know, if you get married, uh, you minister to your wife and your husband. If you don't get married, you minister to the Lord. Amen? And this is what I feel I heard the Holy Spirit say to me. He gave me the Bible verse. He said, it is not good for a man to be alone. And then I heard these words, especially you. Because <laughs> that could lead to a whole lot of crazy, stupid stuff. Amen? Mm -hmm. Say neighbor. neighbor. Don't act like you don't know what that brother's talking about. <laughs> 
And so as Pam and her, Claudia's friends began to help me, something kind of happened. And there was something going on, and I, I could just feel God moving in our behalf. And the next thing you know, we went to dinner, and we went out on a couple of dates, and then she just fell head over heels and loved me. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Say, neighbor. Oh, that brother's in trouble now. <laughs> but God knit our hearts together. And Pam had been married before, and she had gotten a divorce, and now I'm single and she's single. When Claudia died, I had been married for 46 years. How many of us know marriage is crazy sometimes? Marriage is really crazy sometimes when you bring drugs and alcohol and, 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 and adultery into it. And I had brought all those things into my former marriage. But God has done some incredible healing during that time. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to share this one little verse here, not a verse really, but a little story in regards to those who came up last night and had people praying for you. <laughs> Yesterday we had a little meeting in the morning and someone used a, a Steve had asked a question, give, give me some Bible stories where people were overwhelmed. And one of the Bible stories that someone brought up was Noah being thrown overboard. No, I'm sorry, not Noah, Jonah. Jonah being thrown overboard. If you want to read the story, read it for yourself, though. He gets thrown overboard, and then all of a sudden there's a calm. The people on the ship realized that Jonah was the cause of the storm, and they threw him overboard. And as the person was sharing that, one of the things that God showed me, he said God took care of Jonah, and he took care of the people on the ship. And those people who are moving on to something different, God's going to take care of them just as much as he's going to take care of young life. Nothing gets beyond his notice. Nothing escapes his gaze. He, he is there, and he is in the midst of that. But yet and still, life is filled with storms. And so I, I, I love storms. I love this, to read about them. I love to hear about them. Sometimes even when we fly, I love I love turbulence. I love that when, my, when, the, when, the, when the plane hits that and, and your stomach flips. How many people have ever been to a plane where there's turbulence? Anybody ever been there? How many of you ever start really praying and asking God, oh God, please stop all that? Anybody in the house? How many of you ever said, peace, be still, and you heard, shut up, and go sit down somewhere? So, so the deal is this. I, I want to talk about that a little bit today. I want to take these stories and I want to use them in the context of, of being married and being single. Because I believe that God wants to minister to all of us that God wants to say some stuff. And so I, I, I love the word of God. And uh, when I read it, it turns into a movie for me. Some of you have heard me say this before. And because I'm visual. And, and, and what I love about God, he puts the good, the bad, and the ugly in there. And I think a lot of times if we get into his word, God has the way of speaking to us through his word. I cannot emphasize enough to you the importance of getting into God's word. Young life, we have this motto called winning the right to be heard. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, if you won the right to be heard, you need to say something. And whatever you and I say to these kids needs to align itself with the word of God. <laughs> Problem is sometimes we don't really know God's word. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. How many of you want to please the Lord? Maybe I had my glass on, I couldn't tell. How many of you want to please the Lord? These are not trick questions, okay? All right. So you want to please the Lord, and God says without faith, it's impossible to do that. Well, where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you want, 
and it will be given to you. But you have to allow his word to abide in you. You have to allow his word to have its rightful place in your heart and in your mind. Let the word of God dwell richly in you so that when life comes your way, you're able to confront it in faith through the word of God. Amen? Amen. So we all know these stories. We tell these stories at club all the time. And again, they, they come to life for me. And so in the book of Mark in the fourth chapter, the 35th verse, the Phillips translation says it this way. And on the evening of that day, it wasn't just any day, it was that day. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Jesus wants to take you somewhere. Are you willing to go? And you know what? Everybody's not going to go where he's calling you and I to go. How do you know, Bill? Because the Bible says, and he turns to the larger part of the crowd, and he says, okay, you all can go home. And they go down, and they get in these boats, and because Jesus is human, he's limited himself to this. He's human and God, of course. He's limited himself to this human body that gets tired, that gets hungry, that suffers pain. He's tired, and as they start out, he goes to sleep in the stern of the boat. He puts his head on the pillow, and he's out. And maybe the days are like today. High 85, not a cloud in the sky. These guys, many of his disciples, they're fishermen. They know how to handle stuff. They know how to handle this lake. They've been out on this lake numerous times. And maybe at this particular time, it's tranquil. And then all of a sudden, the wind begins to blow. Today, we have Doppler radar. We know how the weather's going to be pretty much days in advance. Well, they didn't have that. I, I, I love that expression that says, uh, red dawn, sailors be warned. Red at night is a sailor's delight. Like if the sky starts out red in the morning, there's a pretty good chance that a storm's going to come. So you've been warned. If the sky's red at night, it looks like you're probably going to have a good day tomorrow. I don't know what the sky looked like that morning, but they were with Jesus. And they start out. And marriage starts out like that, too, sometimes. Everything is smooth at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, things begin to happen. How many of you have ever had an argument with your spouse? Anybody? Those of you who are married, how many of you have had an argument with your spouse? Anybody in the house? Raise your How many of us? How many of you? Have you ever had an argument with your spouse about something that happened a long time ago and it seemed to them like it just happened yesterday? <laughs> Women have a thing, stereotypically speaking, called it ain't over. <laughs> Women have total recall on stuff. Amen, ladies? Amen, Amen like I know what I'm talking about? Amen. They bring that stuff right up. Boom, you're taking one. How many of you have ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to you in the midst of an argument? Now, my first marriage was filled with arguments. Pam and I have been married for three years. We've never had an argument. We almost had one yesterday, but I'm a wise brother. Because <laughs> I want to keep this record going. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to be the one that sounds like an itch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just saying. 
But we've learned to talk. We've learned to talk stuff out. We've never ever raised our voices to each other. Wiley Scott, one of the senior vice presidents, you know what he said about me? He said, Bill, you look for arguments. Yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, God has not allowed us to have one. That peace, at whatever the cost, is worth it. I want us to think about that. In my first marriage, as a Christian man of God, there is never a argument that I had with Claudia where I did not hear these two words. Shut up. Why I gotta shut up when I'm right? Why I gotta shut up when I got a Bible verse to back up what I'm saying? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. The, last thing I need the last thing I need in an argument, in an argument. is a scripture shower. The Bible says. Just saying. Okay, so they start out, and they were on this lake, and it's tranquil. All right, I'll stop right here. For those of you who are single, and for those of you who desire to have a mate, there'll be no hand raising on this. Solidify your relationship with Jesus first. Make that relationship secure where Jesus Christ is the underpinning of your life. So therefore, if you ever move into a relationship with somebody and it doesn't work, you fall into his hands. You don't make the relationship the underpinning. It's Jesus is the underpinning. Amen? Amen, Amen like you mean it? Amen. OK. All right. So here, they go out, and, and all of a sudden, the winds begin to kick up. and. And I, I think about this, now the waves begin to break into the boat. I don't understand how Jesus sleeps through this. But he's not the only one in the Bible who slept through a storm. Jonah slept through a storm. All hell was breaking loose for the men on the ship. Jonah's sound asleep. But there were two different kinds of sleeps. One was a sleep of peace, and one was a sleep of frustration, depression, and fear. How many of you have ever been jammed up over something and you decided to take a nap and you weren't even tired? Anybody in the house ever do that? Yeah, because you know why? You don't want to deal with drama. Your flesh, your humanity, mine doesn't want to deal with drama. So we'll do anything to get away from the drama. So we'll take a nap. Ain't nothing wrong with taking a nap. Problem when you wake up, whatever you tried to get away from hasn't gone anywhere. And it's like this. Oh, we've been waiting on you. <laughs> and then we do a whole bunch of other silly, stupid stuff. We won't go there today, though. Okay, so, they're bailing water. Peter, I love him. Peter's bailing, and he looks over, and here's Jesus is asleep. Have you ever gone through some stuff, and you wondered, where is God when I really need him? Maybe we go through things, and we begin to blame God. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And he looks down, and Jesus is asleep, and I, in my way, hey, don't you care that we perish? That's amazing when things go crazy, we start blaming God. We start believing, accusing God of not caring. Though the Bible says, though not written yet, but the principle was still in effect, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. Of course he cares. He says, you can come to me with anything. You can give me anything because I care for you. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about your marriage. I'm concerned about your singleness. I'm concerned about your well-being. I got you. I love it. And Jesus just wakes up. And I think about this. One translation says, 
He says, peace, be still. Another translation says, and he rebuked the wind, and he calmed the sea. He does two things. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the turmoil that's been created. And then he calms what the turmoil has done. I wonder sometimes, was he talking to the disciples? Because I remember growing up, my mama would say, be still. I knew what that meant. Shut up. And maybe sometimes in the midst of a storm, God says to you and I, be still. I got you. I'm concerned. I want to intervene. I'm more concerned about your situation than you are. And in marriage, things can get crazy. In the waiting for a spouse, things can get crazy. And we can become accusatory towards God. And the great thing about God, it doesn't turn him off. Right? might cause us to stay in the storm a little bit longer than we had to. But he's trying to teach us something. God is always in the midst of trying to teach us something. For those of you who, who are married, you've been called to come on. To follow Christ together. In my first marriage, and, and I ask Pam's permission sometimes to talk about that, because we don't have a lot of hard stories. The great thing about this marriage, I didn't bring negative baggage here. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't violent. I wasn't angry. I, I wasn't cheating. I never cheated on her. Never even has it crossed my mind. I can't say that about my first marriage, but in this marriage, that's how it is. She's never hurt me. She's never spoken evil to me, though she has confronted me. She confronted me one time, and I had to be willing. And I could feel I could have, I could have tried to talk my way out of it. And this is what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Take the punch. Take the punch. She's right. I could have said, but. Okay, so I can it. Say, neighbor. Oh, is he going to get it? Okay, so. But the, but the deal is, so we don't have that. And I thank God for that. And maybe you don't have that, then don't build that. If you make mistakes, you take ownership for it. You heard Steve talk last night, got very vulnerable, about how he and, and Lisa went for counseling. Pam and I went for counseling. We did marital counseling. We listened. Let me just say this. For those of you who are married, I beg you, if you haven't listened to this already, Jimmy Evans and his wife Karen made a tape Marriage on the Rock, $99, worth the investment. And we listen to that, though both of us have experienced marriage. Though both of us know quite a bit about marriage, and it helped us. And then we went for some more counseling. We went for, to a trained therapist who was able to speak into our lives. And then our children went with us to them to make sure that there were not things that were unresolved. You might think you don't need it, but you do. We all need somebody to speak into our lives. That's why God says, talk to somebody about your stuff. Pray about it, that you could be healed. We all bring baggage into life. We, all of us have a certain amount of baggage in our lives. And in young life, we're good at covering it up. In young life, we're good at making people think we got it all together. How many of you know how to act like you got it all together? How many of us know we don't have it all together? There's a book written, I'm okay, you're okay. You know what's wrong with that book? I ain't okay and you ain't okay and that's okay. 
As a matter of fact, everybody do this right quick. Put your 3D spiritual glasses on. These allow you to look into the spirit realm. Now put your, okay, he's got a monocle on here. But, okay, now, look, look your neighbor up and down. Say neighbor. Oh, you got a lot more baggage than I thought you had. I watched Pan's face. We brought stuff. We are all the products of people who've chosen to love us and people who've chosen not to love us. There have been people in our lives who've loved us well and there have been people in our lives who have not loved us well. Issues of rejection. And then all of a sudden we end up in a marriage. How many of you don't like being rejected? How many of you have ever felt rejected? Those of you who just raised your hand, how many of you felt rejected, but at the time you were like, I don't care. <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. Oh, you know you care. Oh, you know you care. <laughs> I brought tremendous rejection issues into my first marriage because my real mother, Betty, was impregnated when she was 15 years old. She was young lives and went to have me aborted. And the lady who did illegal abortions talked her out of the abortion and became my godmother. And later in life, gave her life to Jesus. In the year 2000, I officiated her funeral. So she could have buried me in 1947, and God gave me the honor of burying her in the year 2000. It's amazing how God works with stuff. So we come and we open ourselves up to the Lord, and we allow him to begin to deal with us. The one who begins the good work in you is able to perform it. And the only thing that God needs from us is our cooperation. Cooperate with me. Listen to me. Allow my word to have its rightful place in your heart and in your life. Do what I show you to do. When Jesus says, come on and follow me, when he looks over his shoulder, he's expecting you and I to be there. He's given us some guidelines on how to carry ourselves in marriage and how husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church that he was willing to die for it and wives to respect their husbands as Sarah did even to the point of calling him Lord. That doesn't mean you've got to call him Lord, but you respect him that way. That marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. And whether your spouse puts their share in or not, you're still responsible for your share. Some of these things that single people listen to are some things to think about. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, submit yourself to me. Yield to me. Trust me. I got you. But in the case of this boat, don't you care? Maybe you've waited a long time as far as being single is concerned. And maybe your attitude towards God might be, Lord, don't you care? I desire a mate. I desire a husband. I desire a wife. You know, the Bible says, write the vision and make it plain. And though the vision tarry, though the vision delays, that word tarry means delay, wait on it, for it will not tarry. I read that verse. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> though the vision tarry, wait on it, for it will not tarry. In other words, God is saying, though it seems like it's taking a long time, I'm bringing it to pass at the right time. Men, ladies, for those of you who are single, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't take the first thing that comes your way. Wait on the Lord. The Bible says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Then God's hard enough to say, well, 
wait, I say, on the Lord. Because sometimes we'll wait. But God goes, and we'll, no, wait. What's your neighbor say, neighbor? neighbor. Whoever they are, neighbor. they need to wait. They need to wait. And if that's you, wait. Okay. Okay. All right, so Jesus wakes up. Peace, be still, reduce the wind. <clears throat> There's a calm. A calm. Matter of fact, the Bible says a great calm. Meteorologists say sometimes it takes days, minimum hours for a turbulent sea to calm itself. Jesus spoke to that storm and it shut up. And Jesus is able to speak into the storms of your life and my life and silence those storms. Problem is sometimes, I want to handle this myself. I'm going to deal with this one. I got this one, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You'd be surprised at the crazy stuff that runs through my mind. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. I'm glad he keeps those thoughts to himself. <laughs> and then he turns to them and he turns to you and I. It's amazing. Where's your faith? Why did you doubt? Why were you afraid? You know what they don't realize? They say, who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They don't realize who they've gotten themselves hooked up to. And more importantly than that, they don't realize who it is that's hooked himself up to them. Because Jesus says to you and I, you did not choose me. I chose you. In his foreknowledge of you and I, he chose us. In the sins, the things that, that break his heart that we would do, he chose us. And he's able to work everything together for good. Why? Because you now love him, and you and I are called according to his purpose. Trust me. Who is this? He's the God of the universe that's talked about in Psalms 89, the one that calms the sea, that takes the turbulence out of life. That's the Jesus that's chosen you. They're going to be storms. One of the things that has really encouraged me in these 38 years of knowing Jesus is this promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. To allow God's word to abide in me. For those of you who are single and may be dating somebody, let me just say something here. A little segue, a little ADD moment, but I'm going to come on back. The booty rule. The booty rule. <laughs> Say neighbor. Oh, well, you know what that brother's talking about. <laughs> I remember as we were dating and we would kiss. You know, and you start that kissing stuff. What's <laughs> your name? Say neighbor. Dang, this brother's too real. <laughs> See, the deal is they can't find me. I'm off staff. I'm retired. 
I might not be the speaker next year, <laughs> but I ain't gonna get fired. The Lord spoke to me about Pam and I and our intimacy. He said the rules that you tell kids about, the encouragement you give kids about their sexual dating and relationships, those rules apply to you. They do. And as a result of us surrendering and submitting ourselves to the Lord, our honeymoon night was as though we had never had sex before. Because we yielded and we surrendered ourselves to the Lord. If you've already crossed those lines, you just go to God and you ask his forgiveness and say, Lord, let me start again. God knows how to do that. I had sex before we ever got married. She had sex before I got, we saved. But as a result of doing it God's way, God bless that. I like that. Pam's face turned red. <laughs> I can't stop. But it's, it's the deal. Be careful. The Bible says, above all things, take heed to your heart. I love this. Last day, Steve says, uh, you used an expression, I wanted to ask you about it. When you first saw Leah, Lisa rather, it was sort of what? On the television. But you used another word. On the tube or the screen or something like that. Okay. He sees her first time on, on the screen. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. There's some people in this room, people that, need room. That, need that need to be very careful about the screens they're looking at now. The say neighbor. neighbor. I know exactly what that brother's talking about. <laughs> say neighbor. neighbor. I hope you don't ask us to raise our hands now. <laughs> Because you can look at those screens and, and it will destroy the intimacy between husband and wife. And it's not just a male issue today. It's males and females who are struggling with that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You can feel it in here like, when's he going to move on to the next subject? <laughs> but take it seriously. Take God seriously. God will help you. If you need help, get the help. Don't bring that stuff into your marriage if you're not married. And if it's in your marriage, go get some help about it. I had struggled with looking at the wrong screens at one point, and I turned myself into human resources. And I got the help that I needed. Let me just say this to you here. I'll try to say it in love. I really don't care what you feel about my stuff. I'm just trying to help, to keep you out of some of the trouble that I've gotten myself into. So I wouldn't have to bring that into this marriage. The Bible says, above all things, take heed to your heart. God said, if you're going to do anything, guide that heart. And that can go on a lot, a lot, a lot of different levels. Take heed to your heart. Life is filled with storms. We go through them together. We don't turn on each other. We turn to Jesus. He has the ability to speak into any and every storm that there is. And there is nothing that he can't handle. There is no situation too difficult or too hard for him. And those songs that we just sang about his incredible love for us are reality. Life is filled with storms. Sooner or later, we're going to have to face a storm. By God's grace, for these three years, we've not had to deal with one other than my health, and I'll close with this. 
went in and talked to the doctor. We were at camp at, at Timberwolf. And Pam says, I don't like what I'm seeing. You need to get a second opinion. And I felt like second opinions would be a betrayal of my doctor, foolishly. And so she says, when we get home, you're getting a second opinion. Then she went online, and so she found the cardiologist in New York City. We got home from camp on Sunday. We went to the doctor that Monday. And by that Monday afternoon, I was in the hospital, and they took 14 pounds of fluid from around my heart. Had I not listened to her, I would not be here today. Spouses, listen to your spouses. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in them as well. Amen? Amen. And now by God's incredible grace, and I was at the top of a heart transplant list, and I watched my wife, first wife die as a result of a transplant. Not that the transplant itself did it, but the aftermath. <coughs> there are these three lists. This is a storm, bro. When you're in the doctor's office and he uses this word, terminal, and it ain't got nothing to do with the airport, <laughs> he has a capital. He said, Bill, you might feel good right now, but what you have is terminal. And so there are three primary heart transplant lists. One, 1B, and 2. I was at the top of 1B, getting ready to go to 1. And my pastor spoke to me, called me out in front of our church. He's a prophet. He says, you will be known as the miracle man at that hospital. And Pam and I went to the doctors the next week. We had an appointment with the doctor. The next week, we had this young Catholic uh, nurse, sweetheart of a girl. Her name is Erin. And I love her. She knows I'm a minister. And she says, well, Bill, listen, I'm spiritual, but I can't tell you God is going to heal you. But you never know. You might be known as the miracle man here. And by God's incredible grace, I've been taken off that list and put on the lowest list because of what they see in my heart. And things are getting better, and I do believe that I'm not going to have to get a heart transplant. Why? Because of medical expertise? Though medical expertise is in effect, the same God that spoke to that storm spoke to this heart, and he changed some stuff. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. And that same God, that same God is absolutely, absolutely crazy about you. Crazy about you. Say, neighbor, neighbor. You will never, you will never face, a face a storm without him. Say, neighbor. neighbor. These words I give to you. Peace. Peace. Be still. Be still. Father God, today in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these, your kids. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your hand upon our life. Thank you that you know all things. And I pray, Father, that above all things, we would guard our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would solidify ourselves in you, that we would allow you to abide in us and your words to have their rightful place in us, that we can come to you in the middle of storms, and you will be there for us. We thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you for this time here, these couple of days, just to get away, to de-stress ourselves, hopefully to draw nearer to you, and have the sweet communion of fellowship one with another. We thank you for